We've been looking at, um, this is the last of a three-week series, giving thanks past, present, and future. And today we're going to talk a little bit about giving thanks for the future that we have in Christ. So I'd like to open this morning with two stories and ask if you can see what these stories have in common. The first story is a parable that Jesus told about our Heavenly Father in Matthew chapter 20. And once upon a time, there was a wealthy man who went out early one morning. He dropped by the marketplace and he hired a bunch of guys to work in his vineyard for an agreed upon wage. A few hours later, he goes back again. A few hours later, he goes back again and he keeps hiring more men over and over throughout the day until the very end of the day, the last hour of the day, he employs even more workers. In fact, as, <clears throat> as Jesus told it, uh, this owner uh, hires workers like one hour before sunset. So they go and they just do one hour of work. As the light of day faded, the workers gather together to receive their pay. Uh, back in these days, you got paid at the end of the day every day. That would be awesome. And so they lined up in order from the last ones hired and worked backwards. And every man, no matter how long they had worked that day, received exactly the same pay. One day's wage. Now, I don't have to tell you that things got a little heated, uh, a little testy by the, by the time the, the end of the line came about and the guys that had been there since sunup got their pay. And finally, somebody says it. This isn't right. We got a bum deal. You shortchanged us. We did most of the work today. We carried the burden of, under the hot sun from morning till night. And you treated the guys who came only an hour ago as equals. And the owner of the vineyard says to the workers, I kept my word to you. Didn't we agree together on what I would pay you? Take what is yours and go. I chose to give the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you resent my generosity. So that's the first story. The second story takes place in a college classroom in 2002, and it was the day of final exams. A student walks into the classrooms a few minutes before the professor arrives, and everybody in the room is doing what students do on the day of a final exam. They're cramming, right? Up to the last second, right? The professor enters. He takes a few minutes to review with the students, and most of the material they were reviewing was familiar, but there were some things that he talked about that no one remembered covering in class, and the professor responds with that classic, everything in this book is what you are required to know, whether I talked about it or not. Students have uh, those cold chills up there spying like, I didn't read the book, right? Uh, so the time comes for the test. The professor gives the word, and every student turn, takes their pen, turns over their test, and to every student's astonishment, every answer on the test was already filled in. Even the students' names were written on the top of the exam. A stir traveled like a wave over the class as each student looked at their completed exam. 
on the bottom of the last page of every test was this note from the professor. All the answers on the test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you pass the test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for the test did not help you get an A. That's never happened to me, by the way, just for the record. <laughs> I want to sit in that professor's classroom. That's awesome. Now consider, consider what you've heard, though. There's a story about laborers who were paid a full day's wages for one hour's work. And there was a story of an already completed exam that gave every student an undeserved A. What do these stories have in common? It's undeserved kindness. And can I tell you something this morning? That those aren't just the experiences in other people's lives. There isn't a single person in this room who hasn't experienced outrageous, lavish, unexpected kindness from the Lord. And what's more, we experience these kindnesses every single day of our lives. They're poured out over us constantly. And we know this is true as believers because we have a God who is exceedingly good to us. And if you want to see God for who he really is, the, our passage this morning is going to give us a great starting point. Look at verse 1. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Our God is a good God. But not just in our past when he redeemed us, not just today in our present. He is a good God, a loving God forever. That's never going to stop. He gives us undeserved kindness, not only yesterday and not just today, but into eternity. God will never cease being a God who is good and loving. And because of that truth, we as God's people can only give him thanks. Charles Spurgeon actually said it like this. He said, thanks is all that we can give to the Lord and the least we can give. So this morning, as we look at Psalm 107, I want us to look at some of the ways we can be thankful to the Lord. Now, we should be thankful for what he has done for us in the past. And we can look back at our lives and just say, wow, grace upon grace. We should be able to thank the Lord for our circumstances right now. Whatever those circumstances may be whether they're good or bad, whether we're struggling or in seasons of great joy, we should be able to thank the Lord. But today we're going to focus on giving thanks to God for our future, for what he has yet to do for us. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. It says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. We are reminded that we are a people who continually give thanks to the Lord because he has redeemed us from trouble and gathered us to him. And regardless of what others say or think or believe about our God, 
those of us who have been redeemed have an overwhelming amount of reasons for declaring the goodness of our Lord. And yet, the consistency in which the Lord blesses us sometimes seems to dull our gratitude. Our Redeemer is so glorious, the ransom price He paid so immense, and our redemption so complete that we could do nothing more and nothing less than to give Him thanks and praise. And as we look through the rest of Psalm 107, I want us to see four groups of people. Four groups of people that were in distress and God rescued. These four groups of people serve to remind us of who we were before we were rescued by the grace of God found in His Son, Jesus Christ. These four groups of people will tell us of the extraordinary love and kindness of our Lord even though we don't deserve it. And this truth will allow us to look ahead at our future, at the promised hope given to us in Jesus, with hearts overflowing with thankfulness. So let's look at these four groups of people and thank the Lord for what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will continue to do for us. Our first group of folks are found in verses 4 through 9. Let's read that together. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So this first group is a group of people that are lost in a wide world. And you and I, we are strangers. We are refugees here on earth. This is not our home. This first group of folks find themselves wandering in the middle of the desert, homeless, no place to call their own living with continual hunger and thirst. They cry out to God, and not only does He deliver them from their troubles, but He brings them home. As we struggle through the difficult stuff in this world, we need to remind ourselves that this is not our home. This is not where we're called to end up. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we need to be continually longing for the city which has foundations, whose building and maker is God. That's Hebrews 11, 9 through 10. We have a home that is being prepared for us. The kingdom of God, in which there is no darkness, no suffering, no shame, no pain or hunger. A place where the people of God get to dwell with their king. A place where we will be satisfied completely because Jesus is there with us. In Philippians 4, 5, and 6, Paul says that the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And his point is that we will be with the Lord soon, either by his calling us home or by his return. The Lord is at hand. He is near. 
you and I will be with him soon. If you call the Lord Savior, then someday you and I will be with him forever. When we, when we consider this fact and we give him thanks for it, what, what should we be anxious about? Nothing. Nothing. When we thank God that we belong to Christ and we will soon be with him, we remember that our citizenship is in heaven. Paul says in Philippians 3.20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. You know, I turned 40 in August, and uh, things, things hurt more than they did before, right? I'm like, wake up in the morning, and you're like, why is that hurting? Didn't even exercise that part of my body. I don't know. If that's true, that someday our citizenship will be in heaven with Christ, then how can we not be comforted by the peace that Christ brings us? That's why it's so important for us not only to hear this good news proclaimed to us, but also to thank God for it regularly in our prayers. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to be a people who are thankful for the gift of eternal life. Thanking him for the promise of resurrection. Thanking him that your name is written in the book of life. And thanking our God that someday you and I will be with him soon. In his presence. Witnessing his indescribable glory. That will fill the new heavens and new earth. I don't know what that looks like, but that sounds pretty awesome. So the people that are lost in a wide world are thankful because they have a love that brings them home. And that's our hope and our promise too. Now in verses 10 through 16, we see our second group of people. Let's look at Psalm 107, 10 through 16. It says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. And spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts with hard labor, and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two bars of iron. And so often our hearts rebel against the word of God. We want it our way, not his way. We rebel against the truth that he's given us. Paul tells us in Romans that we reject what God has revealed to us with hardened hearts. We suppress the truth. We exchange the truth of God for a lie, and our foolish hearts become darkened. 
It's why so often we struggle with the same sin over and over. Because we don't believe the truth, what God says. And yet, how often does God, God's mercy protect us from our sinful choices, our foolish behavior, our rebellion? His mercy overflows to us as undeserving children. God's love makes us free despite our sinful choices, our foolish behavior, and our rebellious spirits. This second group of people are people that are trapped in a narrow world. They're trapped in their sinful choices, and their foolish hearts become darkened. And again, we see that this group of people cries out to the Lord in their distress, in their trouble, and God is faithful yet again to deliver people that don't deserve to be delivered. It says he brings them out of darkness and out of the shadow of death, and he bursts their bonds apart. I love that. He doesn't just take your chains off. He destroys your chains so you cannot be shackled again. He doesn't just set us free. He sets us free completely. He destroyed our bonds of sin and death, delivers us from darkness, and transfers us into the kingdom of His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12-14. through 14. He says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Who does that? God. God is the one who does that. He has qualified us. He has set us free. He has transferred us from our sinful state and brought us over into the kingdom of righteousness. We're not qualified by our own merit. We get to share in the inheritance of the redeemed because our God is a good God and He loves us. Undeserved kindness. Our future with God means that one day we will ultimately be free from all our sin. All those daily struggles will be gone. Now, I don't know about you, but I get up and I'm like, Lord, I don't want to struggle with this again. Why, Lord, why? I long for the day where those sinful choices, that sinful rebellion is washed away. will be completely gone. That is something that we can be thankful for. Because we will be at peace and the grace given to us at Calvary through the blood of Jesus Christ will be perfectly realized. Because thankfully we haven't made it yet. But he is making the way for each of us. Now the third group of people can be found in verses 17 through 22. It says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Hope you're seeing the pattern here. 
He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. This is why the people of God are called to sing. We don't gather together to sing praise because we like singing songs. We sing praise because it's one of the ways we can give the Lord thanks for all that he's done for us. This third group of people are people that are damaged in a sinful world. Sin has damaged each and every one of us. And if you're like me, you carry baggage and weight from your sinful choices. Because those choices in the past have burdened us with guilt and shame. And those choices remind us that our hearts are rebellious. And yet our redemption from sin means again that one day sin will be defeated completely. And you and I get to be made perfectly whole. Jesus has declared us righteous. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. That means that you and I get to stand before a holy God one day and be pronounced not guilty, even though we committed the crime. Sin won't hold any power over us. Once we have been given salvation through grace and faith in Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the church in Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 50 through 57. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Because the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are amazing verses. Because one day all of this nonsense will be changed into something that is perfected. We can thank the Lord for that, that he makes us pure and whole and that he has already won the victory. And even though we are a people who are damaged by sin, even though we are a people who treat each other unkindly, who dishonor the Lord, who sin even after we've been redeemed, the blood of Jesus will still bring us salvation. And that is, again, an undeserved kindness. 
Jesus has brought us to himself so that the damage done to us by our own sin will be cleansed and that our struggle with sin will be no more. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Now our last group of people can be found in verses 23 through 32. It says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Our God is a God who's in control of everything. I think you and I need to remind ourselves of that fact constantly when we look around at the world and we see all the chaos, all the nonsense, natural disasters, people killing people, Sin abounding all around us in our own lives. It can feel overwhelming at times unless we remember that our God is a God who is in control. See, this fourth group of people were people that were just trying to make their living as traders on the sea, buying and selling goods in different ports. And they come face to face with the power of God on the stormy seas. And the pattern is there again. They cry out in their trouble. And again, the Lord delivers them. These verses definitely call to mind the story of Jesus asleep on the boat, crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. In, in Mark chapter 4, it says, it says that he was actually asleep on a cushion in the stern. And like these sailors... The disciples cry out in their distress. And Jesus calms the, the storm with one word. Like the sailors, like the disciples, we need faith to believe and remember that God is in control of all things. That this world isn't falling apart and he has no control over it. The wind and the waves, disasters, our very lives are in the hands of God. And when we forget that our God is in control, when we feel like He's forsaken us, we lose the peace that is ours, that is promised to us, that comes with knowing that He has a perfect plan and is in control at every single moment. Our God hasn't turned his back on us. 
He hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't left us to our own devices. Fear is not found in faith. Faith brings us comfort and peace that despite what is happening around us, God is at work. God is in control. It was what Jesus called the disciples to have when they're crying out on the boat. O ye of little faith. Did you not know that I'm right here? What's going to happen? If they really believed that Jesus was in control, they wouldn't have worried about a little storm that was rocking their boat. This fourth group is brought out of imminent danger and brought to their desired haven, their, their, their port. And their response to his working in their lives is again, thanks and praise. That he is in control. Christ is everything we need and has given us everything we need. So how can we, as the people of God, rest in that truth and be a people who are thankful in all circumstances? Not just for the things that God has done and is doing, but for the promises and the things that he will do. For the gift of eternal life that is to come. Life with Jesus in his kingdom. Are you thanking him for that today? It's hard when it hasn't been realized yet. When it's far off. But the writer of Psalms in verse 66, chapter 66 verse 4 looks forward to the day ahead. He writes this. He says, all the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. The psalmist saw the day when God will reign and the world will respond to him in worship. And the prophet Jeremiah reminds us in chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Though we might not be sure of all the details, we do know the end of the story. God's promises will be fulfilled. His purposes will be completed. God is working in history to bring about His ultimate victory. And because of that, we can look at our future with hearts of thanksgiving. Because God has made a way for all of us to have a future and a hope through His Son, Jesus Christ. I want us to close today with the final section of Psalm 107. Because they are verses of hope. They are verses that give us peace. And they are verses that remind us that we are called to be a thankful people. Because God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. So look at 33 through 43. It says, He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, 
a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things and let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good. And your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, there is not a moment that goes by that you are not in control. Lord, forgive us for being a people who often look around and say, where are you, Lord? Forgive us for being a people that think that our plans are better than your plans. Forgive us for being a people who lack the faith to see that maybe you're right there in the boat sleeping on a cushion and that you haven't left us or forsaken us, but you've given us all the things that we need because you are a good and holy and loving God. We thank you today, Lord, that we can call ourselves your children. That one day we will dwell with you and that all this brokenness will be made right because of the work that your son did on Calvary. So we praise you and we thank your holy name for the gift of Jesus who has given us a future and a hope. And it's his, in his precious name we say, amen.